Thanks for joining us at Grapevine Church Podcasts. I'm Angie, and we're starting a series on questions. Questions you may or may not have thought of. And I have sitting next to me Phil Gregg, who is one of the leaders at Grapevine. Morning, Phil. How are you? Hi there, Angie. I'm very well. Uh, Covid has been and gone for me. And for me too. It's left me fairly untouched. How about you? Um, Still a bit bunged up, as you can probably tell by the Mm. way I sound. But we've not only gone through COVID, but we've gone through Storm Eunice. Storm Eunice, wasn't that a monster? It knocked (laughs) over one of our garden chairs. Right across the garden. Right across the garden. Who'd have thought it? Unlike the guy who found a caravan in his garden, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) Yeah, the joke was he went out to check the caravan because it wasn't there the night before. Wonderful. Anyway, we survived, and obviously because of this podcast, we've still got electricity. Yeah, yeah. So, shall we dive straight straight in? You, or straight in? Yeah. Straight in. Straight in. Yeah, you're an Australian. If you're. Yeah, I'm from Australia. <laughs> so, the first question is, who am I, and why do I feel like this? I have to say, this seems like a strange question. What do you think the person really wants to know? Well, isn't that fascinating? On the face of it, you can't answer a question like that, can you? Who am I? Who knows? Why do I feel like... Like what? And yet, when you think about the way human beings talk about themselves and the sorts of feelings and realisations that could bring a question like, who am I and why do I feel like this? It... Sounds, though, as if this person isn't in a good place. Yeah, it does really, doesn't it? If they don't know who they are, no sense of personal identity, and the question, why do I feel like this, uh, you can bet your bottom dollar that this is not going to be a great feeling. They wouldn't be asking a question like this if they were on top of the world. So what could we say to this person who we're assuming... The assumptions we're making is that they're not feeling very good about themselves. What can we actually say to this person? Well, if somebody doesn't know who they are, it means they they have no sense of belonging to anything at all. <clears throat> A lot of my sense of belonging comes to who I've been in the past, who I relate to, um, who I intend to be in the future... And it strikes me that this person hasn't got, that they know of, anything like that. So, come on then. They don't belong to anything or anybody. Okay, so what's the first thing you would say to this person? Well, the picture I gave them was that God is the source of all good things. Now, I gave them, uh, you, you can say that and they can't understand a word you're talking about. So I gave them the picture of a supermarket. So here's a supermarket. You're standing outside the doors and inside are shelves laden down with good things. And you can see through the door a package saying, this, whoever you are, is who you are. Whatever your name is, this is who you are. And the package has got a great big free sign marked on the top, a big star. You can walk in there, collect who you are, and God's got that you you're meant to i mean i tell you what the package will contain you're meant to belong to him that's your sense of belonging and there's another package you know further along the shop 
And you can see that, and it says, you don't feel like that anymore, you feel like this. And it's a sense that God has got everything under control, and he knows how you feel, and he is with you in everything, and he is making you feel better about things. So do you think that we are created to walk into that supermarket and pick things up from the shelf? Absolutely. But you can tell this person has looked in through the door, and right now they're halfway across the car park, and they haven't even opened the door. So would you really say that the fact that they just looked in and then walked away is God's fault? Well, I don't think so. No, this is... This is who we are as people. We tend to turn away from God, even when he's offering us good things, which for this person would answer that evident distress in their voice. God's offering them good things, but they have turned away from him. And all as soon as you walk away from the doors of a supermarket, you haven't got access to anything in that supermarket anymore. As soon as you walk away from God, you take yourself, and it's your fault, you take yourself away from all the good things that he can provide. I lie. Because he still provides you with good things, even though you don't know. So, for instance, food and shelter, for most people, still come. Family life, belonging to community, not so reliable as food and shelter, but quite... Uh, obviously still available to most of us. But those deeper questions of who I am, my sense sense of well-being, are seriously damaged by not being able to collect those from God's supermarket. And they're free. It's very interesting, isn't it? Because very often we see people just rejecting that idea. They're very willing to blame God Mm. for disasters and all the rest of it but when it comes to their own self and the sense of well-being and and having those good things they don't think they don't seem to think about god no it's the old it's the old song i did it my way and people (laughs) people want access to everything that god has for them but without god they don't want him and yet he is the only way to get those things so that question of why do I feel like this is because you, you're saying that there's no connection to God. That's and that's right. why they yeah, feel like that. Absolutely. That's very interesting. So if, if we're talking about, about God and, and how God uh, it gives us good things all the time, even though we don't recognise it, even if, even if we're not as we call ourselves Christians... God gives us things, good things mm. all the time, and the offer is there for those things. So what do we do about it? You know, you talked about the person walking into the car, into the car park, but, but if we wanted those things, what do we do? Well, the answer here has got to be some words of Jesus. He said, I am the way. So you can imagine the person looking up at the door of the supermarket from outside and it says, come in here and meet Jesus. Oh no, no, that's what they don't want. So Jesus said, I am the way. And if he said, I am the way, you can bet your sweet life, there isn't another way. And people have been struggling to find the answer to 
who am I and why do I feel like this? It's a fundamental question of all religions. But they continue to hunt and hunt and hunt for God. The story of religion for human beings is of hunting for a God that's inaccessible, for a God they can't find. That's the story of every religion except for one. Because it's only Jesus who is the way. So you have to meet him. You have to come to him. But people might say, well, Jesus is dead, so what what help is he to me? Yeah, well, uh, we know that Jesus was crucified and died, and Jesus died for me and all that sort of stuff is a well-known phrase. But, you know, Jesus didn't just die. Jesus, and it's attested by many hundreds of people, came alive again. And there is no record, either in history or in the Bible, of him ever dying again. Which means that if I want to talk to him, or to surrender my life to him, or to reap the benefits of knowing him, like walking through the door in the supermarket with his name on the top, then all I have to do is to talk to him. And if I talk to him, does that mean, for example, this person who says, why do I feel like this? Do they suddenly feel better? Do things suddenly start to go right? Well, for me, the answer was yes, but in a, in a way which I didn't understand for a long time. Uh, but yet, the answer is yes. He is, you walk in the door of a supermarket and all of a sudden everything's available to you again you may take it may take a while to go and pick up all the things you want from the shelf before you go to the checkout but yeah or it's a fundamental change which happens straight away as soon as you surrender your own will to him so it's a change of in a sense heart feelings mind it's very definitely inside uh, I would certainly say mind, because your mind has to say, oh yes, I will do that then. Okay. But it really, it's, it's really your heart. It's a change of heart. Um, like a, a soldier that's on the battlefield and he realises that although he's fought for one side, the, the cause is lost. So he's going to join the other side. And he stands up, holds his white flag up and says... I've had a change of heart. Take mm. me on. and I surrender. I surrender. That's right. It's surrendering <laughs> yeah. to God. The, the Bible calls it turning to God, and God talks about turning to him quite a lot. Thanks, Phil. That's a great answer to a good I, question. Do you want to say anything else? Yeah, just one, one other thing. People get confused about how and where they can do that. Do they have to be in a church, in a pew, on the knees? The answer is no, you don't. You can so do where it. do you have to be? <laughs> it absolutely doesn't matter. I had a friend who did this transaction with Jesus on the top deck of a number eight bus on the inner ring road of Birmingham. And all he did was he turned his heart to say to Jesus, who two minutes before he hadn't believed in, turned his heart to say to Jesus, I give my allegiance to you. I'll surrender to you. And it's from then that everything started to change for him. 
And I think that's probably true for all those who say that they know God, is that whether it was a sudden change or a slow change, that God has changed their lives. Yeah. And a sense of he does do us good all the time. And that's what I'm hoping for for this person, that the good that God can do them will take away that dreadful, empty feeling of who am I and why do I feel like this? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Phil. And uh, coming up in part two, we'll have yet more fascinating questions. Welcome back to part two. I have Phil Gregg with me, one of the leaders of Grapevine Church, and we're starting a series on questions. So, Phil, what is the most interesting question you've been asked? It's got to be from a young mother who had been reading up on how to breastfeed her child, and breastfeeding news says that For the first six months, the baby doesn't need anything, not a single thing, not even water, apart from breast milk. Well, that sparked off her interest, and she thought of the Bible story where Israel got to feed on manna. And we'll do what that is in just a minute. But So the question is this, hey Phil... um, do you think that what's the difference between breast, human breast milk and manna? Or what's the similarities? Or if it's the same? Yeah, yeah. Is, is it, it, are they the same stuff? Okay, so how on earth do you begin to answer a question like that? Well, of course, your first thought is you, you can't. Because, <laughs> well, you know, you can study human breast milk, but you can't, you can't study manna. You can't subject it to chemical analysis because it isn't here anymore. Yeah. And yet, you can say something about it, and that is this. For quite some time, the whole nation of Israel lived on this substance called manna. So it must have been able to, to sustain them. Sustain life is the words that I've got. You see... Human breast milk can sustain life for six months. And so, but what happens after six months? Ah, the baby runs out of iron. Okay. Now, the baby's born, babies are born, with a great stock of iron from their mums. Okay. Human breast milk doesn't contain very much iron at all. And therefore, at six months you need to start substituting ordinary food for breast milk. Right, so like weaning, weaning the baby. Which is weaning, Yeah, that's right. And then the baby gets the iron from its diet like all the rest of us do. Okay. So human breast milk has got in everything that we need to live except for iron. Okay, so can you say anything about manna? Well, manna we know was a dry, flaky substance. Now, I got this feeling of... Um, sugar frosties all over the floor, all <laughs> joined together. I love sugar frosties, um, but it was actually a white substance, and its name was wonderful because Israel called it manna, which means I don't know what it's called. <laughs> so, so they, you were saying earlier on, here was Israel in the desert, yeah. not having any food. 
Well, that, that's, that's the subtext. At this point, they'd run out of food. And they came to Moses and complained like they did every now and then. And then Moses went off to God and complained on their behalf like <laughs> he did every now and then. And God says, yep, yeah, okay, tomorrow you're going to get this white flaky stuff on the floor. You go out and you collect as much as you need for the day. Okay, so the white flaky stuff, Israel went out to collect it and went, uh, what is it? Yeah, Which means manna. Yes, manna. Okay, so then what did they, did they eat it straight away or what what did they do with it? Well, they were told to take it back home and then it would feed them for that day. Wow, wow. So are you now saying that this manna you suspect is like breast milk? Well, they lived on this stuff apart from one chemical for years and which is what's the chemical the chemical is water okay now they through various other miracles they had access to water what they didn't have was all the other chemicals which would sustain life but there in the this dry stuff called manna they did so presumably in there was enough iron to keep them going so they they, they did have enough iron in the manna so actually what you're saying is that the manna sustained except for the water yeah the breast milk sustains except for iron iron yeah okay <clears throat> so th- that's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I, I sort of think think about manna and they had to collect it every day. Is that right? Well, yeah. Um, the interesting thing was, if you're like me, uh, you can go to the supermarket and uh, instead of going every day, uh, you go and do a big shop. Um, <laughs> just in case. Just in case. So you <laughs> bring like... back a whole bag full of manna. It's, well, it's a week. Yeah. It, yeah. it's, it's human nature, isn't it? It's like COVID in the toilet yeah. rolls. And what they found was that God, God had told them to only collect enough for the day, apart from one instance, I'll do that in a minute. Um, God had told them to collect enough from the, for the day. And when they went out and collected tomorrow's as well, being lazy, what they found was when they woke up in the morning, tomorrow's had rotted. Oh, it's a bit like my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to go out again that day. Now, there's one instance where they could collect tomorrow's manna today. Okay, and what was that? That was when tomorrow was a Sabbath, and they weren't supposed to do any work. Okay, so the Sabbath was the day of rest that God commanded for them to yes. keep holy. So he supplied for that day. He did. Wow. He supplied extra on the day before. And it didn't go rotten. And it didn't go rotten. Wow. Now, how amazing is that? Well, it just, it just, two things occur to me that here is a God who sustains day by day by day. Yeah. And, and the other thing it reminds me of is when Jesus, you know, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us today our daily bread. I do wonder whether the story of the manna yeah. was in his mind when he said that, because the disciples would have recognised it. Yes, that's right. It's, the, it's enough for today. Yeah, and it's great, isn't it? Because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, because that's got enough troubles. Yeah. It's about today. Yeah, you live yeah. for today. And there's grace and, for today, Yeah, isn't there? That's well, the amazing thing. The manna was the sign of God's blessing. And you can use the word grace if you like. 
but God's blessing upon them to give them everything they needed to survive for that day. That is amazing. So for this person then, you would say, yes, breast milk is very similar to manna. They is both that contain, it sustains life. They both contain everything you need to sustain life. And this is my reply to her. They both contain everything you need to sustain life, except that manna hasn't got enough water and breast milk, breast milk hasn't got enough iron. Brilliant. Thanks. What a fascinating question, and well done you for being able to answer it. <laughs> it's trying to think sideways. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. So, join us next week when we have yet more questions. <laughs>